Well, good morning, folks. How are you today? Hopefully filled with anticipation, right? Another day around God's Word. I'd like to welcome all of you who are watching online at home. I pray that you'll have a good experience for having joined us here today. Today we're going to talk about an Old Testament prophet by the name of Habakkuk. He's one of the minor prophets in the Bible. He's the eighth one, about 60% through your Bible if you open it up trying to find it. Might do better if you just look in the front and get the page number. Anyways, three chapters, but it's full of instruction for us today. Really excited to go through it with you. And poor Habakkuk has a problem. Now, in the Old Testament economy of Israel, priests stood with their backs to the people and represented the people before God. Prophets, on the other hand, stood between God and the people and would proclaim God's message to them. Thus saith the Lord. Habakkuk's a little different in that he just records his conversations with God. And Habakkuk has a problem. I might as well get to it with God right away. He's got a problem with God. And he's honest enough to think it and to record it. He can't understand God's ways, and he questions them. Most of us do this, but we don't like to admit it. But do you notice he doesn't become, as we'll see, he does not doubt the Lord, he does not rebuke the Lord, he doesn't become bitter with the Lord, he just simply wants answers. You know, someone, I heard something recently, about two weeks ago, I was driving somewhere listening to a podcast sermon it's about prayer. And you know, a lot of times we have prayer and we think, my goodness, why isn't God answering? Or when he does, we get it answered in ways that just didn't make any sense at the time. Well, this guy said, quote, God answers our prayers according to what we would ask for if we knew what he knows. I think that's great. Think about that. God answers our prayers according to what we would ask for if we knew what he knows. So you ever had a problem with God's divine ways with his providence? I know I have a lot of times. Tammy and I agree that in 50 years, not one major thing has gone the way we thought it would go in life. Every single time it took a different turn. And at some points, it was easy to see God's hand in it in a rather short period of time. Other times, it took years. There's still some things that I'm still wondering about, wondering when God will clarify. And I have no doubt that he will. And if not, that's okay, too, at this point. So if we're honest, this is an issue we all struggle with at times. And in our study this morning, Habakkuk gives us a roadmap for peace, We need to look at his problem and see how he works through it. The first thing we want to look at is Habakkuk grappling with the problem. Habakkuk grappling with the problem. Grappling simply means to wrestle with or to grab hold of. Could have used wrestling, but it didn't fit. It wasn't a nice G word, so use grappling. The problem is twofold. The first is the silence of God. 
Why won't God hear? Why won't God answer? Ever dealt with that? Of course we have. How long, O Lord, shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Verse 2. How long, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help you will not hear? There's a bad scene in Judah in, in Habakkuk's day. If you go on in verse 2, it says, Or cry to you violence and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. The prophet is appalled by sin. Even the courts are corrupt. And verse 4, it says, So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Why doesn't God answer me, is what he's thinking. Well, years ago, probably a couple decades ago, there was a popular saying around, if God doesn't judge us, this nation, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. I was thinking about that. You know, I probably said it myself back in the day. But if God, if you take 20 years where we are now versus where we are then, we need something a lot stronger than that to express it. I've often wondered how long God will allow our nation to go on as it is. God now answers in verses 5 through 11. We're going to read verses 5 through 8. Look, at the, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march forth, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce and the evening wolves, their horsemen press proudly on. Our horsemen come from afar. They fly like an evil swift eagle, swift to devour. You need to realize that back in that day, there was no news media to point out the horrors of war. And it was horrific. People raped and pillaged and burned and took whatever they wanted. It was awful. And so God is silent. Now God answers. He says, okay, Habakkuk, here's your answer. I'm sending the Chaldeans, your Bible may say Babylonians. They will thoroughly and brutally purge this iniquitous land. Your prayer is answered, Habakkuk. The Chaldeans will be my agent of judgment. Now, God's answer raises another problem for Habakkuk. Problem two, the action of God. The action of God. Wait a minute, Lord. Things are bad, but the cure is worse than the disease, he's thinking. Um... Man, how can God use a pagan nation to judge his people? Verse 12, the first part. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. We're Israel. We're your chosen people. You made promises to us. How can we die? He goes on in verse 12 and 13. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment. And you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of pure eyes and deceive and cannot look of wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? It's a picture if you've got a good guy, a bad guy, taking advantage of a bad guy, but who's not as bad as the first bad guy. How can you do that, God? It doesn't make any sense. 
Well, then, in the early part of the 1900s, there was a British theologian by the name of J. Sidlow Baxter, and he wrote this. During the 1930s, England was in a low state of spiritual degradation. There are many of us who are crying out to God, O oh Lord, how long will it be till you judge our beloved nation? To the surprise of many of us came and how God did it. When a godless people came and bombed us and wrought havoc on our cities in the Second World War, some of us who were praying for God to deal with iniquity in our nation had a problem with the way he allowed it to be done. Or let's imagine in 1941, you're a, you're a Christian and you're in Kiev in the Ukraine. In the last two decades, you've seen the communists take power. You've seen them shutter your churches. You've seen them force atheism on your country. You've seen them turn your children against you to mock you and, their, and your values. You've seen the, collectiviz the collectivization of, their, of your farms produce famines that killed millions. You think, how long, Lord? How can you be doing this? Well, in September of 1941 comes the invading Nazi German Wehrmacht. Probably thought, well, maybe there's some relief here. Maybe they're going to throw off these evil occupiers. Then, in a ravine near your home, Bobby Yar Ravine, in two days, more than 33,000 people were murdered, thrown into that ravine. You think, how can you allow this to happen, Lord? That's like taking two cities the size of Warsaw, roughly, killing every man, woman, and child and throwing them into a ravine near your home. Obviously, the Nazi German Wehrmacht was not the answer that he was looking for. And some of us grew up in the Cold War. How would we have felt if the Russians, say, had nuked us and taken us over? It's kind of the idea, if you kind of in a, it's hard for us to imagine living in America but it's, this is what he's dealing with. He sees this coming, he doesn't know how it can be. It's twofold, God's silence and then his actions. But maybe it's not international, international intrigue that's bothering us. Maybe it's our family that's hurting. Maybe you've poured your life into your children and you've seen them make choices and choices which are not God-honoring and not adopting your values. Maybe... Maybe it's our marriage where a spouse is left for another person. Spouse that you still love. Maybe it's in our, our friends have turned on us. Maybe it's our church. Maybe it's our job. Or the worst, maybe we've lost a loved one. Things that we don't see how a good God can allow to happen. And while we may accept it, we just still are left scratching our heads. How can this be? We need to remember that God doesn't do things by our book. Isaiah chapter 55 verses 8 and 9 says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So how much higher are the heavens than the earth? We don't know for sure, but it's, it's infinite, I would say. God doesn't do things by our book, but God makes no mistakes. And while we may not understand it, we're called to trust him still. Well, Habakkuk, we've seen his twofold problem. He waits for an answer. 
And, and if we, we want an answer, we'll, we'll follow his pattern as seen in Habakkuk chapter two, verse one. He says there, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. So we've seen Habakkuk grappling with the problem. Next, we see him grasping the solution. Habakkuk grasping the solution. It's a twofold solution to his twofold problem. It may not be what the hurting want to hear, but it's God's answer. Solution number one, the righteous or the just shall live by faith. Verses two and three. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. Seems slow. Wait for it. It will surely come. It will not, it will not delay. So, wait. Be patient. Now, if we're honest, being patient is one of the most difficult things to do of all. If we're honest, when we pray about patience, if we're really, really honest, is a lot of times, Lord, give me patience now. But here he says, be patient. Verse four, behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. The righteous person will live by their faith. The unrighteous, the Chaldeans or the Babylonians will be judged. And the rest of the chapter describes this. Listen, friends, this verse is critical. It's pivotal. It's quoted three times in the New Testament. In Romans chapter 1, verses 17, Galatians 3.11, and Hebrews 10.38. These great doctrinal verses, books are largely commentaries on this verse. The emphasis in each of these books is a bit different. So, the righteous shall live by his faith. In Romans, the righteous or the just is the emphasis. Romans 1, 16 through 17. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So in Romans, the righteous is the emphasis. In Galatians, shall live is the emphasis. It speaks to the life we have in Jesus Christ. And it has a beautiful section in chapter five where it speaks of the fruits, the works of the flesh versus the fruit of the spirit. And in Hebrews, by faith is the emphasis. By faith is the emphasis. Uh, and, and there it says in Hebrews, Hebrews eleven six, without faith it is impossible to please God or please him. And there's more than that. The Hebrew way, word for faith here is a special word. It's called emuna, emuna. The Hebrew faith, idea of faith is richer concept than we tend to hold. A clear translation of this might be the righteous of the dust by live, by, shall live by their faithfulness. The concept of the word emuna is more than just an intellectual assent to facts. Like there is a God. I believe that. Uh, the Bible is God's word. I believe that. Jesus died on the cross. I believe that. 
Jesus died, rose again from the dead. I believe that. Those are assent to facts. You can believe all those things and still not be reconciled to God, be born again. Emunah means much more. I'll give you a couple of illustrations. In Exodus chapter 17, you have the account of the army of Israel and the army of Amalek fighting. Moses is taking out to watch the battle. And whenever Moses keeps his hands up, the people of Israel prevail. When he gets tired and puts his hands out, down the people of Amalek prevail. So in Exodus chapter 17, verse 12, we read this. But Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and one on the other. So his hands were steady, get that word, until the going down of the sun. The word steady is emuna. Replies ongoing and continuation. Also, Lamentations 3, verses 23, 22, and 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The point we're making here is mere intellectual assent or agreement with sin of facts is not in view in Habakkuk 2, 4. The, I view is, the, the idea in view is faithfulness towards God. And the main point is the continuation of that faithfulness. Now, if you were here in the early days and heard me preach, you might think, what are you saying here, Tom? First of all, let me be clear. I believe with every fiber of my being that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and the person and the finished work of Jesus Christ alone, plus nothing. I would go to the wall for that. However, the Bible also clearly teaches that true faith, saving faith, two things about it. Number one, it lasts. It lasts. And number two, it produces fruit. Every good tree, Jesus said, produces good fruit. And we can't deny that. I know people who are not walking with the Lord like to say, well, I'm saved. But you need to question your faith if you see no fruit and you see no continuation. Seriously. Sorry to tell you that, guys, but that's what the Bible teaches. So we've seen that the righteous shall live by the faith. The first solution is for the present, the nasty now and now. What about the future? Solution number two, God will ultimately and completely triumph. Maybe we struggle with God's ways because we only are looking at the horizontal seeing things through eyes, God's eyes. We need to try and imagine things through God's eyes. We can only see what's happening right now and the circumstances around it. God sees not only the beginning, he sees the end, he sees everything in between. He knows not only why we do things, he knows with what attitude we do things. He knows what hidden motives are all about. That's why I think that's such a good definition of prayer that God answers our prayers according to what we would ask for if we knew what he knows. We need to look at that through God's eyes. And in verse 14, we see the promise. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover 
the sea. A day is coming, friends, when that's going to be true, absolutely true. You can go to the bank and take it to the bank on that. And how, how, how does the waters cover the sea? Well, that's the very, very definition of a sea, the boundaries of everything the water covers. That's completely, totally, without exception. God, the knowledge, the earth will be filled with knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now, it's really hard to see that right now, even though poor Habakkuk, all he sees is inequity, injustice, and unbelief. But as God, as God, only God's children really have this promise, friends, those who know Jesus as their Savior. And verse 20 then, with that in mind, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let the earth keep silence before him. Try to envision what it must be, what they must be trying to depict there. A holy temple, the Lord seated on his throne. Probably most of the times we see images of God or Jesus in the Old Testament. It's a bright, unapproachable light. First of all, we'd probably all be flat on our face, faces before it. But he says, think of it this way, friends, and then be quiet. It's almost like, shut up. Really, God must be, it's a very good thing we're saved by grace, friends. It's a very good thing. In spite of what he's seen, Habakkuk stands firm. And he stands firm because he stands on God's promise. We've seen him grappling with the problem, grasping the solution. Thirdly, we see Habakkuk glorying in assurance. We all clamor for assurances in our life, our health, our relationships, our work. But the truth is, the only true assurance in this world is possessed by those who know Jesus as their Savior. Because that's an unshakable truth that never is going to change no matter what happens in the earth. We alone, friends, have true assurance. And we see that it's a twofold assurance. Assurance number one, the assurance of answered prayer. An assurance of answered prayer. Verse two, O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work, O Lord, I do fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Poor Habakkuk, saying, if this is your way, Lord, to bring a wicked nation to judge us, I'll accept it. I was afraid, but I'll accept it. But Lord, in the middle of wrath, will you remember mercy? Please don't let Babylon and the Chaldeans destroy us. Wipe us off the face of the earth. Be true to your promises. And though judgment came and the nation was carried away into captivity, a remnant was preserved. And 70 years later, they returned to Jerusalem and built a new temple to the Lord. You want to read about that? You can read about Ezra and Nehemiah in the Old Testament. Habakkuk is now given a glory vision of God in verses 4 through 15. And a second assurance follows. This is an assurance and praise. And this is a beautiful verse, which I'm sure most every one of you have heard many different times. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and fields yield no flood, no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. What's he describing here? <laughs> 
the utter devastation of an agricultural economy. Chaldeans are going to come and raise the land to the ground. People will starve. They'll be carried off into captivity. It's going to be awful. Those who, were, who would be sold into slavery probably had it the best, if you can imagine that. They're going to stop life as he knows it. But what will he do? Verse 18. Yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. He says, the dear and precious things this life can be taken away, but my relationship to God cannot. Does that mean he's happy about what's happening? Does that mean he doesn't sorrow, that he doesn't cry? Of course he does. But in the bigger picture, he realized that ultimately, and we need to realize it too, that ultimately in Christ, we win. We win. We could subtitle this, How to Keep Our Eyes on God When They're Full of Tears. And God's been good to me. I haven't known the worst hurts in life. He really has. I've talked to many of you who have and I'm, I'm glad to take your word for it. I don't want to experience it. I know there's times when it's hard to even think or breathe it hurts so bad. The fact is that God knows best and his ways are not our ways. And we rest assured in the day that come when complete understanding will be ours that our relationship with the creator is as sure as his word. So, how do you respond to the tragedies of life? There are generally three ways. First, respond in indignation. We lift our fists at God and curse him. How can you do this, God? In the past year, I've worked several times with a young pharmacy technician. She's probably young to me, about 40 years old. She, as we talked, she started telling me about her life and the things that have happened to her. All sorts of awful abuse, the hands of relatives, and even her father. Her mother blamed her. It was just awful. I mean, things that I just, it almost curls my hair given the protected upbringing I had. And I just, I just kept thinking, how can I change the course of this conversation? And at one point, I tried to inject God into it. And she said, God, I don't believe there's a God, or I'm not sure, who knows. But if there is one, I don't want any part of him. Because how could a God allow this to happen to me? And I've even taught my children to feel the same way. Man, as she was saying that, I was praying to God, please give me something to turn this conversation. We were silent for a little while, and right before we closed, I said, do you mind if I give you some grandfatherly advice? She said, okay. I said, you know, you say you don't know if there's a God. Well, you need to figure that out one way or the other because it's critical. Because I believe the Bible, and the Bible tells us that God will hold every person accountable of knowing him through two things. Number one is the creation. Every person should be able to look at the beauty and the magnificence, the simplicity, the complexity, the harmony of God's creation and see the creator behind it. 
And secondly, God said he put a witness of himself within us in the conscience of a human being. He said, you really need to give that some serious thought. And if at the end of the day you decide there's no God, then you're no better off than you were. You're no worse off than you are now. But if you do decide there is one, then you've got a problem. He goes, why is that? Kind of snapped. He said, because the Bible says that everyone will give an account to the Creator. And you owe it to yourself to figure it out. Please at least examine the documents. I'd like to say I all had a happy ending. I don't know, maybe it will yet, but I've only worked with her once and we were so busy it never came up again. But it's something I'm praying about and I think God's cracked a lot tougher nuts than her. But I feel a lot of compassion for her. My goodness, I've never known anything like that. Most of us haven't either must be very difficult for her to envision a loving God. So one way is to respond in indignation. Job's wife in the Bible encouraged us, said, curse God and die, Job 2.9. There's a second way. Respond in, res with resigna in resignation. I'll just sweat it out. Take, I'll most take this course. Well, that's just the way it is, I'll accept it. And I grew up around a lot of people who had that view of things, that suffering was somehow noble and a way to be made worthy. There's an old Yiddish account that, um, you know, well, first of all, that may be better, that's better than responding in indignation, but it's not what Habakkuk's talking about. There's a Yiddish expression that says, let it be worse so long as it's a change. Most of us resign ourselves to the fact that it could always be worse. And I know people, a lot of us offer comfort to people who are hurting that way. Probably isn't too comforting, folks. I hate to break it to you. But it's true, well, even though it's true. As believers, we're to strive and take a different route. Look at verse 19. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Give me a vision of this. And you know, a couple decades ago, we were out at Glacier National Park with my wife and children. We were on a long hike that day and right off to, we were walking along a sheer face of rock. So steep that if you looked up, you'd almost fall backwards. I probably would fall backwards now at 69. But then I just almost fell backwards. As we were walking along, one of the kids said, look up there, Dad. And clear up there, as high as we could see, we could see some tiny specks. We realized they were bighorn sheep walking around like they owned the place on that sheer cliff. Just like that was no problem whatsoever. That's the, that's the image here. The Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. This is not indignation, it's not resignation, it's responding in jubilation. God, may God work in our, all of our hearts that we might in his power, glory and assurance in the midst of times when the circumstances are dark. Just one more thought. I don't know if you realize it or not, but today, this particular weekend is the 36th anniversary of the first service of Wallace Community Bible church. I, it's not the right date, but it's the right weekend. 
Back 36 years ago, I was a young 33-year-old, black hair, believe it or not. And that week, I thought, what in the world have I gotten myself into here? How in the world am I going to do what seems to be before me? All week long, I wondered, well, will anyone even show up? And if they do, will I be able to preach to them? And on Saturday, the day before the, our first service, I received a little card in the mail from a neighboring woman, a woman who's still alive, but whose mind has been taken by Alzheimer's. And in a heavy hand, the first thing she wrote across that little note of encouragement was, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am, going, for I am doing a work in your days that you will not believe if told. Habakkuk 1.5. She went on and encouraged me. I thought how appropriate that that turned out to be the topic today. And I know it's totally out of context, but the thought's still there. I, I would have never believed it if I'd looked ahead 36 years. I sold God way too short back in those days. Probably still do in a lot of things. But anyways, just wanted to share that with you. In the midst of hard times, remember God's in control. Let's pray.